Amen, amen. You may be seated this morning. We are going to start a new study in, in John's Gospel, but before we do that, um, there's uh, a couple young ladies that I'd like to call up, Barbara and Jamie, and we're going to pray for them because they're going to be leaving this week for a missions trip, and so I'd like for us as a congregation to be able to pray with them and pray for them before they leave. Guys, come on up. Um, we talked about the youth going on a missions trip um, this this month coming up in June for Vacation Bible School. And, and really, all of us, uh, when we leave these uh, four walls, when we head out of this church, we're all called to the mission field, whether it's uh, to our coworkers or neighbors, family members. We all have a mission field, and um, all of us have opportunity to be able to share with those uh, the life and the light of Jesus Christ to others. Um, some of us have opportunities to be able to go to uh, other places, such as the youth, to take a week out and be able to go and bless children in Eagle, Colorado. And uh, we have other people in the fellowship as well. And we don't always, um, you know, talk every week about it, but so that you're aware and so that we're praying for those who are able to go out, we do have a family, the Logan family, that's been in Ecuador for the last month uh, since um, Easter. And, um, and Tim and Lori have been there with their three children ministering at a school that uh, they have uh, been before there and ministered there in times past and had the opportunity to go back for uh, about four weeks and they're going to be returning this week. And so we're looking forward to hearing from them in their trip uh, as they ministered there in Ecuador. Barbara and Jamie are going to be heading to Dublin, Ireland later this week. And uh, so we want to pray for them and with them before they leave. We also got a young man that uh, is going to Ben Sutton uh, this summer is going to be leaving here in a few weeks. And he's going to be going to South Africa ministering there for about seven weeks during the summer. So we've got quite a bit of, of uh, activity that's going on as people are going out. And as I mentioned, all of us go out, right? Uh, whether it's to your neighbors or whoever it might be that you have opportunity. But do you guys want to just share a minute what you're going to be doing there? Jamie? They, they didn't know I was going to do this, so. We're kind of put on the spot here. Yes, and I like doing that to them, so. We haven't been told very specifics about what we're going to be doing, but we'll be working with the youth um, at that church. And then we'll also be out in court doing street ministry, um, just outreaching to people um, just in the city. So we'll be doing um, some skits and some puppet shows. And um, I think we're doing children's ministry at some point as well. And then we'll be in Galway in a church there, um, just doing some practical ministry, kind of whatever the church needs. And then um, we might be doing some outreach in the city as well but um so basically just going to these churches to kind of just fellowship with the people there and just kind of do whatever whatever we can to bless them so thanks barbara mm -hmm. all right um one thing about europe is um europe is very beautiful but very very uh dry spiritually um at one time you know the the, the uh, you know, the, the big churches that were there and the cathedrals that are there um, really tells a history of one time. 
that um, there are many believers, but now there's very few. And um, those churches are empty. Matter of fact, there's more mosques being built in Europe than there are Christian churches now. And, um, and we're seeing that trend in Europe begin over here in the United States. So um, what a great opportunity to be able to go to a small part over in Europe in Dublin uh, for these young ladies to be able to witness, to share, to minister to kids. So if you'd like, would you please stand with me and let's pray for Barbara and Jamie uh, as they're going to be leaving this week. And um, I would ask that you continue to pray for them. We'll put it on a prayer chain uh, for their continued um, travels and, and, um, and continued prayers if we would do that. More than anything, um, it's prayer. Prayer is so vital. And I know how important it is because I remember going to Africa, flying into South Sudan in a war zone. And, um, and how I coveted your prayers so much when, you know, I did that and was traveling or uh, wherever, you know, I had opportunity to go. So as we have more people going out, we want to be a church that is praying. And, uh, and praying for those who have opportunity to go. And so, Father, we pray for Barbara and Jamie. We pray that as they prepare this week and, and do a couple of days of training, and then they'll be leaving, we uh, ask that you give them safe travel, that, um, Lord, that is when they land, that you would begin to work immediately, that um, they would have opportunity to share Jesus Christ and him crucified with children, with others that they have opportunity, that they would work with the church, um, and Lord, the church knows the area. They know um, what's going on. And Lord, I just pray that you would open up doors uh, for them to be able to give light and, and the message of life to others. And Lord, we ask that you keep them safe. Keep them under the shadow of your wings. And Lord, keep them strong. Keep them, um, Lord, um, focused on you and what they're there for. And Father, I pray that um, you give them wisdom. And so we look so forward to them um, and what you have for them and what they're going to do. And we thank you for their willingness to go. And Father, we do pray as the Logan family will be heading back from Ecuador, we pray for them for safe travel. We pray that you would bless them and, and um, we look for a good report as they've been ministering to many, many children in Ecuador. And uh, we look up for opportunities to be able to follow um, up with this and, and partner with them in this ministry as well. And Lord, we pray for Ben, who will be uh, leaving in a few weeks for South Africa as he goes there and um, he's ministering on campus and universities, giving the gospel, uh, just working, being a light there in South Africa. We thank you for his willingness to take a couple months and uh, just enabling him to go. And we pray for uh, travel mercies. It's a long ways over there. And uh, we pray that you keep him safe and use him in a powerful, mighty way. And Lord, also, as, as we're talking about those who are going out, um, those in the mission field, uh, we continue with the youth group that's going to Eagle. And we may think that that's not very important, but it is to you. It is extremely important as these young people prepared and have been to go and minister to uh, dozens and dozens of children, uh, telling them about Jesus, loving them, ministering to them, being an encouragement and a light because we know that that has such a positive effect and, and witness to them. And Lord, just bless our youth and prepare their hearts for it and, and um, help them to realize that you want to use them and uh, you want to use them in a powerful way. And Lord, for all of us here, that when we walk out these doors that we're in a mission field, 
uh, to our neighbors, to families, to others. And Lord, I, I just have a sense of uh, that there's urgency right now uh, because darkness is covering the land and uh, people are turning away from the Lord and how there needs to be light. And, and we want to take as many people to heaven as we can by sharing the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ through him comes eternal life. And Lord, even as we go through the gospel of John, it will help us see Jesus more clearly and that truly that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So Lord, thank you for this time. Bless this time as, uh, as uh, we study the word again for Jamie and Barbara. Uh, we look forward to them being used of you and coming back with a good report. So we pray uh, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thanks, guys. You bet. All right, you may be seated. And as I said, we are going to be in John's Gospel. We finished Galatians last week, and we are going to start at chapter 1, verse 1 of John's Gospel, the fourth Gospel that you have in the New Testament. If you need a Bible to follow along with this, John will slip you one if you raise your hand, and you can turn to chapter 1 of John's Gospel this morning. We'll be in John's Gospel for a few months as we go through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And of course, John's gospel is the fourth and last gospel that we have in the New Testament, and it is believed that this gospel is the single most read book of all of the Bible. And as we look and as we study at the four different gospels that we have recorded, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we have are four different pictures of the life and ministry and person of Jesus Christ. And together they give us one composite picture of who Jesus really is. In other words, as you read and as you study the, the gospel uh, according to Matthew, uh, it is written to prove to us that Jesus is truly the King of Kings, the Messiah. And Matthew would write it for the Jewish reader. And so what you have there in Matthew's gospel is a lot of Old Testament quotes and showing us that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming and the ministry of the Messiah. Then you have Mark's gospel. And Mark was written to show us that Jesus was the perfect servant. He was the servant of all. We read in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then you move over to Luke's gospel. And remember that Luke, uh, a lot of people get kind of confused, but Luke wasn't one of the disciples of Jesus. Luke was Greek. He would write the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which is about a quarter of the New Testament. And Luke was written to show us that Jesus was the perfect man. Luke, uh, being Gentile, being a Greek, wrote the gospel for the Greek reader. And in their culture at that time, they were always concerned and very much focused on the perfect man. What what makes a perfect man and we know that Jesus is the only one that has ever lived that was perfect and then now John's gospel which we start today was written to show us that Jesus is divine that he's deity God incarnate Jesus um, God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ and now John writes about some unique insights about Jesus in his gospel you see John the disciple of Jesus the human instrument used to write these words down inspired by the Spirit of God. John, of course, was, uh, as I mentioned, one of the disciples of Jesus. It is believed historically that perhaps he was the youngest of the disciples. He was the one whom 
Jesus loved, as John chapter 19 tells us. And John, in writing this gospel, he bases his writing on seven signs, seven miracles, and then also seven statements of deity that he makes. They are the I am statements. So as John is writing, there are seven signs of miracles that he's going to record for us, six of which are only found in this gospel. And he portrays Jesus as the Son of God. John's gospel also contains wonderful and insightful discourses of Jesus, Jesus which proclaim and explain the significance of the signs. In other words, as we go through this gospel, you will read and we will study once again the feeding of the 5,000. Now, the feeding of the 5,000, that miracle is recorded in all four Gospels, isn't it? But only John records how Jesus then teaches the multitude to reveal that I am the bread of life. When we get to chapter 11, we're going to see that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. As John records that sign, that miracle, but then he teaches Martha and Mary that I am the resurrection and the life. So here Jesus makes what scholars call the I am statement, showing and declaring that Jesus is deity. There are seven that as you read commentators and, and uh, as you read um, those who um, you know, uh, write about the scriptures and, and um, teach the scriptures, they'll point out there are seven I am statements. I think that really there's eight if you include what Jesus declares very clearly, deity in John chapter 8 as he says before Abraham was I am. Then he would say, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. So there you have seven. And then he says, before Abraham was, I am. And so really eight statements of, of, of deity, the I am statements that he makes here in this gospel. John's gospel begins with the declaration that Jesus is God. We will read that in verse 1 here in just a minute. And then it ends with Thomas proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and God. And as we continue through this gospel, we will see that um, as we read it, there's no record of the genealogy of Jesus. There's no manger story. There's no boyhood incidences recorded. Uh, the temptation of Jesus is not given. The Olivet Discourse is not recorded. There's no agony of Gethsemane that is mentioned. John is very selective recording Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders that Matthew and Mark and Luke, those three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. Um, we see that John doesn't really focus on the interaction uh, with um, but he does, uh, he's very selective in the interaction that uh, he has with the religious leaders, that the other synoptic gospels, uh, you know, uh, have other interactions that are focused on, on other things. In other words, uh, as we go through this, we're going to see that the religious leaders are really pressing Jesus on who he is. And Jesus is going to declare on who he is, the Son of God. We know that there's no mention of parables, publicans, or demoniacs in John's gospel. A lot of John's gospel focuses on Jesus' ministry there in Jerusalem, while the other three gospels focus on his ministry in Galilee. Now, at the end of John chapter 20, he writes that truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, 
which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The reason that John writes this gospel is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is divine, he is deity, that he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and that you may have life in his name. The word believe is used 99 times in John's gospel. And this gospel gives us very important truths regarding the doctrine of salvation. Here he presents salvation as number one, that salvation is gracious, a free gift from God. We talked about that quite extensively in our study of Galatians that we just finished last week. Salvation is not something man works for but it is to be received by believing in Jesus' death on the cross, knowing that his death on the cross was totally sufficient uh, to pay for all of, of man's sin, that he was put into a grave and he rose again after three days and he conquered sin and death. So salvation is gracious, salvation is also available, and it comes to those who believe. We will see that over and over again, emphasize as we go through this gospel. And we will also see that the invitation is given to come and see, come and see Jesus, and, and come to me is what he will say, anyone who thirsts. So anyone who comes to Jesus, who believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then thirdly, salvation brings eternal life. That eternal life, listen, only comes in faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through anything else or anyone else. So that's what's being emphasized, those very important truths that we will have in the scriptures concerning salvation. Now, people might say to you and to me, I don't know if I believe that Jesus really is God. And what we can do is we can tell them that, you know what, read the Gospel of John. Take a couple of hours of your life and read this wonderful gospel because it is written to show you that Jesus is the Son of God. So let's begin to study this wonderful gospel as we pick it up at chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So John begins his gospel the same way that the book of Genesis really begins. And I, as I mentioned, there is no genealogy, there's no nativity scene, no wise men, no angels singing, but John goes clear back before the world was created. John goes back to that infinite, eternal past and declares, in the beginning was the word. We know that this is speaking of Jesus. In Revelation chapter 19, when it tells us about Jesus' second coming, when he comes again uh, physically to to this earth and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he talks about uh, John in the book of Revelation chapter 19 when he comes in great power and glory that a description of Jesus given there in chapter 19 tells us that his name is the word of God. And we're going to read in verse 14 here of chapter 1 that the word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us, again speaking of Jesus. John makes it very clear in the very first verse of this gospel that Jesus, he existed in eternity past and that Jesus is God and that Jesus, the word, was with God. What you have in the scriptures, as many of you have heard this term, is we have what is called the Trinity. 
In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The name of God in Genesis chapter 1, Elohim in the Hebrew, used there, it is plural. Here in John chapter 1, verse 1, the word was with God and is God. The Bible declares that there is only one God, not that there's three gods. But there is only one God, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, God says, I am the first, I am the last, beside me there is no God. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21, there is no other God beside me, a just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. So when we come to the New Testament, we see very, very clearly and unmistakably that Jesus is declared to be God. The Word was God. So you have the doctrine of the Trinity, which is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you see, it's very, very important that we have a clear understanding of who Jesus is. And as we go through this gospel simply, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, we are going to see very clearly who Jesus is and who he claimed to be because there will be those who will come along and they will try to confuse you. Well, Jesus, he was just a prophet or he was a, a great spiritual teacher or a spiritual leader. They will come along and they will even say that he was created like the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons teach. But we see right away in John's gospel that it is declared that Jesus was with God in eternity past. We know from Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 that he is called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is eternally God. And verse 3, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. So Jesus is the creator. He is not the created. Jesus, he created the heavens and the earth. Colossians chapter 1 declares, For by him, that is Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. You know, with summer being here, um, some people are out this, this weekend and, and we'll be able to get out as the weather warms up and the summer nights. And it's wonderful perhaps to sit in your backyard or be able to you know, take a drive out in the country at, at night and see just the stars or maybe camp out in the mountains. It's amazing, isn't it? And I love doing that, just looking at the Milky Way galaxy when you see it and all the stars. And you, you think about God created all of it, every bit of it. And it's just overwhelming when you think about it. You know, scientists tell us that there's about 1,300,000 of our Earth that can fit inside the sun. So the sun is huge. 1,300,000 of our Earth can fit inside our sun. Now, Antares, a star in our own galaxy, is bigger than our sun. It is so big that 64 of our suns could fit into Antares. But there's another star, Hercules. And that star is so big that 110 million Antares could fit into Hercules. And isn't it amazing when, you, when you, you think about the vastness and the bigness of the universe that the creator of all of it loved us so much that he became like us, that he might reveal to us who God is and that we might share uh, with us and that he would die for us, that we might come into right relationship with the Father. 
And I think just as David did 3,000 years ago, the heavens declare the glory of God, but what is man that you're mindful of him? And the scriptures tell us that you and I are the crowning jewel of his creation. And it's also interesting that when you read Genesis 1 and, and you, you see that God created the stars, a very short sentence. He doesn't go into details. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about it. But the Bible talks a whole lot about how God interferes in the affairs of man and how God has provided salvation for you and me through Jesus Christ. You are the crowning jewel of his creation. And he loves you and he created you and he has a plan for you. And he's provided salvation for us through Jesus Christ. In verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. We will see in John's gospel that Jesus declares to be the light of the world. And he is the resurrection and the life. Life is used 36 times in the gospel. John would later write in his epistle, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, that he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. That's a real simple statement, isn't it? He is the only source of eternal life, and that life is in the light of men, and it shines in the darkness. And we know that it's a dark world out there, isn't it? And as I see, day by day is getting more dark. It, the problems, the, the evil, the, the you know, difficulties, uh, uh, what we see in this world, the rebellion against God. That's why we need to be in prayer. That's why we need to understand that Jesus, he is our hope. The world isn't our hope. And we need to keep praying for those who are going out in the mission field, praying for one another as we share the life and light of Jesus Christ with others. So the light of the world has come into the darkness of the world to give us life in his name, and the darkness did not comprehend or overcome it. It's interesting, when Jesus died on the cross, Luke's gospel tells us that darkness covered the land. But he would rise three days later, wouldn't he? He would come forth from that tomb. The light of the world bursting forth from that dark tomb, that dark time. And the light of the world now shines in our hearts to where Jesus says, you are the light of the world, you who believe. So Jesus, it is him that he is the light of the world, the true light. And he's the one that brings us life. And it is only through Jesus, listen, this is going to be very important. Because there are those who are coming along and saying, well, you can find eternal life through other you know, religious leaders and other ways and being good. Jesus is the only source of eternal life. And he's the only one that can bring that eternal life to you and to me as we believe. He's provided for it. And then he's the one that brings life abundantly to those of us who surrender our hearts to him. He's the only one that can do that. And so he's the one that shines in our hearts the light of God. In verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. In verse 9, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. The Apostle John now introduces us to the prophet John, that is John the Baptist. We know from the other Gospels that John's father was Zacharias. His mother's name was Elizabeth. And being the son of a priest, John would be a priest as well. 
And the priests, as we've gone through the Old Testament, we've seen that they have two main responsibilities. First of all, they were to represent the people to God. In other words, they were to pray for the people, they were to carry the people on their heart, and then secondly, they were to represent God to the people. They were to be an ambassador, to reflect to the people who God is and what he is saying. And as you look at John's ministry, he spoke the truth of God to the people. He would point people to God. He was a witness of the light of the world that he had come. The scripture tells us that we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the light that we are called a kingdom of priests, Revelation chapter 5. And you know, many of you, that Peter declares in his epistle, in his first one, chapter 2, we are called the royal priesthood. And you see, our ministry, as we go out into our mission field, as we minister to others, that we are to, number one, represent the people to God, that you love people, that you point them to God, that you are one that you point them to the light, Jesus Christ. And you and I are to pray for people, to carry them on our hearts. Again, I believe there's kind of a sense of urgency in the day in which we're living in. We need to be praying for people and, and continue to pray for them and be a witness to them, not only with the words that we speak, but the way that we live our lives. And then secondly, to represent God to the people, that's being a witness, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to be, to be a witness with the words and, and our lives, that to let them see that we have the reality of Jesus Christ that lives in our hearts, that we're new creation in him, that the light of the world dwells in us. And concerning the light that John bore witness of, verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him and he came to his own and his own did not receive him. He is the creator who came and lived among us. The winds obeyed him. The seas would cease roaring at his command. The rocks would have cried out if necessary. Demons trembled at him. But yet, as the creator came and lived among us, the world did not know him nor receive him. It alarms me, and I know it does with you as well, how the world is more and more rejecting Jesus and who he is as the Savior of the world. How hostile the world is towards Jesus and towards you and me as Christians. I mentioned that Colossians 1 declares that all things were made by him, and in him all things consist. He is preeminent over all things except one thing, and that is the person who folds their arms and stiffen their necks and harden their hearts and, and the one who says, I will not submit myself to the lordship of Jesus. I will not surrender my life and my heart to him. And I will not seek life and forgiveness through Jesus Christ because the Lord will not force his way into our hearts. He came into his own and his own did not receive him. We know that Jesus came to his own people, and that is the people of Israel. And they as a whole rejected him. They would cry out, crucify him. We will not have this man rule over us. And people today, many, will say, I do not want Jesus to rule over my heart and over my life. In verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name 
although many would reject him, there would be those who would believe on his name. And now they are the children of God. You and I, as we believe in the name of Jesus Christ in our hearts, that what he did for us in dying on Calvary's cross and rising from the grave, then we are sons and daughters of the living God by believing on his name. And who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 13. Now one of the great truths and themes of Galatians, as we saw, is that we come to Jesus Christ, we come and are justified in the eyes of God by faith, believing on his name, believing in our hearts, that we need the Savior of the world, and that Savior is Jesus, who would die on the cross for our sins, and he rose again. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, not just in your head, but in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be called a child of God. You'll be born again by the Spirit of God. That's what he's going to tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, you who live by the law, who teaches the law, you have to be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. You see, to be a child of God, a true child of God, it doesn't come by earning it. You can't work for it. You're not born into it. Well, my family, they're Christians, or my parents are Christians. We are not born again by blood or of the flesh or the will of man, but it is coming to him by faith. It is by grace through faith that we're saved. It's not of works, not of ourselves. It is the free gift of God, lest anyone should boast. People will say to you and to me today, oh, we're all children of God. Have you ever had anybody say that to you? We're all children of God. No, we're not. Do you believe on his name? Do you believe in Jesus? It isn't because you think you're good enough. It isn't because your name is on the membership of a, you know, uh, of a church. It isn't because that you were baptized. It isn't any of those things. So one of the truths of Scripture that we are very much established in as we went through Galatians, that we are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And he will save us, and he will hear our prayers, and we will become a child of God by faith alone, believing on his name. It is by the will of God, God calling you to himself by the Holy Spirit, and then you're responding to that call, response of faith and obedience to him. And verse 14, and the whole... and excuse me, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word dwelt there might be translated tabernacled among us. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh, God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now, people will have all kinds of different concepts of God. Some people picture God as a mean old man up in heaven, right? You ever talk to anybody that's really fearful, just uh, almost like a, uh, a terror of God because they picture him as a mean man with a long beard, leaning over the banister of heaven, ready to zap anybody that gets out of line? And he's going to zap me if, 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 if I get out of line. I've talked to people like that. Or the other side of the spectrum is they see, you know, God as some kind of celestial Santa Claus. 
that if I just name it and claim it and, and, and all of this, then I'll get whatever it is that I want. There's a lot of people today that believe God is some kind of impersonal force. When Jesus, as we will see in John chapter 14, was with his disciples in that upper room, it was Philip, one of his disciples, that said to him, show us the Father that it might, might suffice us. And Jesus said, oh, Philip. And I think that Jesus said that with a voice of disappointment. Philip, you've been with me all this whole time. Don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And what Jesus was saying in that, if you want to know what the Father is like, if you want to know what God is like, then look at me, look to me. If you want to know what the heart and the character of God, then look to me. We beheld his glory. That word beheld means to study, to look at very closely. Sometimes people think that Jesus was just kind of here running interference for everybody. And the Father was all uptight and he's um, going to judge and, and all of this. And, and Jesus said, well, I'll die for them. It was the Father's will, and it pleased the Father that Jesus would die for us so that we can come into right relationship with him. Again, a reference of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. What it's telling us is that Jesus is the perfect representation of God, represents the glory of God, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace, and he's full of truth, in perfect harmony, working together. We will see that as we go through this gospel. You see, there are some people that are full of grace, but they have little truth. They can be a bit flaky to be around. There are others that are full of truth, but they don't have much grace. And they can be really hard to be around. Jesus was the perfect blend, harmony of grace and truth. In other words, he told it like it was. He spoke truth with authority, yet people marveled at the gracious words that he spoke. Mark's gospel tells us that the common people heard him gladly. He was so full of grace, so full of truth, and we learned so much from that. A quick notice we read in verse 14 that he is the only begotten of the Father, and again there are those groups and, and cults that will come along and say, well, Jesus, he, he was created. And the Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons believe that Jesus was the first spirit children born of God the Father and God the Mother, and that it, he was created. Jehovah Witnesses, same thing, that he's Michael the Archangel. And they will turn to a verse like that, and they'll say, see, he was created, begotten of the Father. It's already been established that he is eternal from eternity past. So this speaks of his incarnation. He became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now listen, always remember this, that the Bible never presents Jesus as created, never. He is never presented as a created being, but always as the eternal God. So keep that in mind, and we will see that as we go through this gospel. We've already seen it going through these first verses of chapter 1. And verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. So we do know from John's gospel and, that, and from um, the other gospels that Jesus and John were cousins and that John was born about six months before Jesus. 
Yet here we read that John is declaring that he, Jesus, is before me. So is John confused? Uh, is the Bible in error? No. John again just recognizing what has been declared that Jesus existed from the beginning, from eternity past. He is from eternity past to eternity future. In verse 16, and of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. No one has seen the full glory of God. It was Moses that said to God up there on Mount Sinai, Hey, I want to see your glory. And the Lord said, Moses, that if you saw all my glory, it would consume you. So Moses was hid in the cliff of the rocks, and, and God passed by, and, and Moses then was able to gla glance at his afterglow. But no man has seen God at any time, the full glory of God. We would be consumed. So he is declared to us through Jesus Christ. And what we will read in John chapter 12 is that there were some Greeks that came to Jerusalem. And they said, we wish to see Jesus as they came to the disciples. And as we go through this gospel, that's one of the things that we're going to see very clearly is that we're going to see Jesus. I think that request was the greatest request ever made. We wish to see Jesus. And we're going to see Jesus very clearly in who he is and what he has done for us. We will see Jesus as he declares the Father to us. That if you've seen me, you've seen him. That truly that we are one. That the Father and I, I do no works apart from him. And those are statements that we will see all over again, all through the Gospel of John. That I am the way, not a way the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. What door? The door to eternal life, the door to heaven. That I am the vine. That I am the good shepherd. That I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger and believes in me shall never thirst. So Father, we thank you for this quick introduction and looking at these verses in John chapter 1, and we look forward to this gospel and seeing Jesus clearly, portrayed to us as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, may we be established in that truth very clearly so we are not confused in the voices out there in the world that say, well, Jesus was just another religious leader, or he was a prophet, or he was something else. He was from eternity past with God. The word with God, the word was God. And we know that to be true. Who loved us so much that he came and dwelt among us and went to a cross to die for us. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody that happens to be here on this Memorial Weekend that's here listening to this message, that it isn't by the will of man that you become a Christian. It isn't by blood or flesh. It isn't that you're born into a, uh, being a Christian. You have to be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
And if you want to be born again of the Spirit, you come in faith, recognizing your need for the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, because He is the way, the truth, and the life. That through Him comes life. Through no one else or nothing else. And it doesn't come by your own will. It doesn't come by your own striving and straining. It comes by faith in who He is, the Son of God, and what He did for you. He went to Calvary's cross. Why? Because you're a sinner who needs to be saved. And that can happen as you come in faith. And you surrender your life and your heart to Him. You turn, you repent, and quit going in the direction you're going. And you turn to Jesus. And you open your heart to Him. The light that came into the darkness of this world. Listen, the world is not your hope. And He won't force His way into your heart. But the Bible is also true in saying those who reject him that will be separated from him for all eternity, cast into outer darkness. That's the truth of the word of God. But Jesus has done and provided the work for you. And he says, come, open your heart to me. I'm the bread of life. Believe in me. And you'll never hunger again. You'll have eternal life. Will you turn to Jesus? If that means anything to anyone here this morning, and you pray right where you're sitting, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God that came to this world to die for me, a sinner. And I confess that I am a sinner. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Forgive me because you died for me on Calvary's cross. And I believe that you rose from the grave and you're alive knocking on the door of my heart and I now let you in. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Sit on the throne of my heart because my life is not my own now. I surrender to you. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And if any